Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. Carol is a nationally known gerontologist, chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, and executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and we are delighted to have you back in studio. You've been off running NCOA meetings. I have been in Washington, D.C. several times recently, so it's nice to be back. So how is that job going as chair? That's one of those work 24-7 and don't get paid for. Well, we're so excited at NCOA uh, launching an aging mastery program in senior centers across the country to help uh, people really understand how they can take control of their retirement and aging and really get more out of it than maybe they originally thought about it. You know, we all think about what growing old is like, um, and it's much better to be in control of that process. That's pretty cool. It also dovetails with our special guest, Kathy Borey, who's going to be talking about the long hello, memories of my mother and me, talking about seven years in which she, while her mother struggled with Alzheimer's, uh, recorded conversations with her mom. That's right. And that's that search for meaning, you know, all Taking of us Taking control. Are, all of us are looking for that. That's cool. And again, we're delighted to have you back. You've been on that special assignment. And we'll start it out with a really good question. I understand you came across, not that you're looking, a new matchmaking site. Well, I did come across a new matchmaking site, but it's not what you're thinking. I was it thinking is. about poor Ernie, your husband. No, 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 no. So, you know, mo- most of the matchmaking sites like Match and Cupid and Our Time for Older People are really looking for romantic partners, people that you would like to date. Well, I loved this one because blogger Margaret Manning, uh, and she runs a site called 60 and Me, you know, she started noticing that there was a thread through um, all the people that were responding to her blogs. So she issued this survey to about a thousand of her followers, all female, um, between 55 and 70. Uh, and 75% of them said they felt lonely. So as wow. people are retiring, you know, they don't have that social interaction in the office. They stop running into people, maybe, especially if you're caregiving, you know, you for a while or you're, maybe your spouse has died, you've gotten divorced. And so she's created the site Boomerly. But it's for finding new friends. Oh, that's cool. So it's connecting you with other women um, who might be interested. Maybe you want uh, to go on vacation with somebody. Maybe you want to correspond with somebody. Maybe you're looking for a roommate, you know, to cut your costs. Um, Whatever it is that you're looking for, Boomerly connects you with friends and people that you can engage with, not on a real superficial kind of a social media way, but, you know, people that maybe you can have these in-depth conversations with and maybe become part of your life. Well, I know after my dad passed away, my mom uh, said that all her friends are either dead or gone or disconnected. And she was indeed very lonely. Well, and, you know, and loneliness is a huge problem. Uh, we were meeting with people from United Healthcare recently, and they were talking about the impact of loneliness on your health. Uh, and so when a major... A group like that, it, you know, is concerned about loneliness, and it, and it's really true. So I I loved this this site, and right now it's free, 
So boomerly, the way you get to it, okay, you do have to be a little social media savvy to get to it. You have to sign on through Facebook. So if you're out there and you're on Facebook and you're looking for a friend, not a love, then go to Boomerly, check it out. It's free. Um, and you can sign up cool. to connect with other people and have new friends. Boomerly. Boomerly. Now, the next item you came across is so perfect for you, Carol Zerniel. <laughs> it is absolutely something that uh, perhaps you are adopting. Six ways to slow down time. Well, I stopped at this particular article um, because my father's always talking about how fast time goes. And he says he's 85 and he keeps talking. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm starting to feel that acceleration of time. You know, when you got kids and all of a sudden you turn around, they're graduating from high school, they're graduating from college, they've got kids, they're getting married. And it, it does. And, you know, the interesting thing about this article um, is that it's not our imagination this whole time warp and time speeding up, it really isn't our imagination. It's something that our brain apparently measures time when we're young. It's like um, event markers. So we put down things happen to us, and because it's a new experience, it slows down time, and it makes it things feel like that they're going slower because we're remembering time passing, and we kind of stop through all of these new experiences that we're having. So once we're grown and we're, working or we're retired when every day is kind of every day is kind of the same nothing new it's that sameness that makes time feel like it's speeding up which i thought was fascinating and i i do have these um you know i'll think i wish i could just slow down and just you know kind of be here now and experience what's going on particularly around the holidays you know or summertime the good times of the year slow down really want to just slow it down and so lo and behold six ways to slow down time um and one of the ways to do it is um one of the things is being grateful so there's something probably our guest i think uh will identify with and we get on automatic pilot and we just don't think about things that we're appreciating that were going on in our life so every day write down three things that you appreciate about your life and notice those so that they create kind of a little marker we'll talk for to that kathy uh, bory about that when we get her on yeah so being grateful being in the moment so that's actually turning off the phone stopping talking to the person you're talking to looking at the things you're seeing you know, being in the moment, which is kind of a Zen thing. It's hard for us as Americans to do that. Would you please stop texting and talk to me? <laughs> you know, we, and we're not, apparently we don't multitask well anyway. We think we do, but our brains really don't like it. So that all that is is speeding up time and eating up all of those seconds. You know, we talk about taking a few breaths where you really breathe deeply. That deep breathing can help slow us down and make us aware. And what I love about this for a caregiving situation is that deep breath allows us time to think, how do I want to react in this situation? So if we're caring for somebody and, you know, maybe they're with Alzheimer's and they've got behavior problems, maybe, you know, they're very frail um, and we're not getting good news, how do I want to react? There's so many times in caregiving where we want to react uh, mindfully. Mm -hmm. And so those deep breaths give us the times to do that. Uh, Another one they talk about saying maybe, um, and that really has to do with becoming really pessimistic, maybe allows, maybe things will get better. Maybe this is only temporary. Maybe this situation's going to change. We need to allow for maybe in our life. 
Yeah, but every kid in America knows maybe means no. Well, when you get to be an adult, maybe can be something good. So we have to reprogram that. You're right. Yeah. So, um, and then just becoming aware of the stress and anxiety in our life and maybe finding a way to let some of that go. Um, I was recently talking to someone about, uh, well, actually, it was a whole group of caregivers, and we were talking about stress and getting rid of stress. And it was really about feeling the anger and the stress and the anxiety and then letting it go. So that's making room for something good to happen, and it'll help slow time down because when you do things that you enjoy, you let go mm-hmm. of that stress, put something that you like in that, you're going to, if you enjoy cooking and you're cooking, you know, time slows down, you know, you got the glass of wine and you're stirring and the friends are coming over. Put yourself in a situation like that where you like what you're doing, you're looking forward to something that's coming up, and that'll help slow time down, even though not really in the reality sense. It'll just feel different. I had a friend who was a therapist who used to say, if something is really bugging you, bothering you, when you're in the car, figuratively wrap it up, tie it in a bow, roll your window down, and throw it out the window. There we go. And that does work. And it does work, yes. There are other techniques. So slowing down time is simply, really, it's mind over matter. It's deciding you know, that, to notice and look around and see what's going on here. There really is something to stop and smell the roses after all. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air, brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, that's where we are. And in just a few minutes, we'll be talking with author Carrie Borey, The Long Hello, Memories, My Mother and Me. That's coming up in just a couple of moments. Now, you might think we have an incredible organized opening to the show today because we go from all the things that you have to do to slow down to how to fall asleep. (laughs) How to fall asleep. I love this one. This is from the New York Times. Yes, we're bouncing around. Um, So the New York Times was talking to a neurologist and sleep consultant to professional athletes. And we all have so much in common with professional athletes. (laughs) Especially the night before the big game. Yeah, before the big game. So apparently he studied Major League Baseball players. This is uh, Christopher Winter. Uh, studied the San Francisco Giants and the Oklahoma City Thunder and found out that those players that had the highest levels of drowsiness were not still playing ball two years later. So not getting enough rest, not getting good sleep, actually was detrimental to their athletic careers. And if it can take down a professional athlete, what the heck is it doing to us? Absolutely. So, um, so you know, when he was coaching athletes, because that's what you do, you coach them, you don't talk to them. Um <laughs> He told them to, you know, when they were sleeping, you have to make the bedroom so dark you have trouble finding the doorknob. Now, Sleep hygiene. Yeah, so don't do don't do this if you're going to fall down. Don't do that. No. Um, but the main thing was, yes, you do have to have the room dark. But this keeps coming up over and over again. No electronics in the bedroom. No blue screens. The light that comes from our iPhones and our iPads and whatever kind of electronics we have, that spectrum of light actually interrupts your brain signals and it tells you to stay awake it doesn't you lay down it doesn't it doesn't say go to sleep it actually prevents you from releasing all of the little hormones in your brain that tell you to go to sleep no kidding blue screens are very very bad wow and the other thing he said is if you're anxious about falling asleep you know our bodies pretty much tell us you know unless we're caffeinated or on, right. You know, have other some kind of substance keeping us awake. You know, if you're not sleepy, you're not sleepy. So don't worry about it. That lying awake and thinking, I have to go to sleep, I have to go to sleep, I have to go to sleep, 
is that it's just keeping us awake. And so that counting sheep thing, he says, think of the most boring thing that you can think of. I mean, that's just repetitive for athletes. He's like hitting ball after ball after ball at practice and just have them keep doing that until they numb themselves. And for those of us who aren't athletes, it might be, you know, uh, thinking about taking out the trash or the what's in the refrigerator, or it might be cooking our mother's lasagna recipe. It could just be something that's got a lot of steps and it lulls us into sleep. And there you go. And there we go. So that's how to you know, put yourself to sleep by recounting boring things and, or repetitive actions. And it might just help you turn your brain off. And now in the next minute, we're going to kick it up a notch. Oh, in a minute. There's no way in a minute. Eight ways to cope when you're overwhelmed. Well, I'll, I'll just hit a few of the highlights. If you're feeling overwhelmed and you've got too much to do, and this comes from grandparents.com, uh, for busy grandparents and busy caregivers is only invite people into your house that you like. So those negative people that drive you crazy, you know, they're just making your life even worse. Make plans. Don't be haphazard. Make a plan. Stick to the plan. Dr. Jamie talks to us about that every once in a while. We don't want just things to just happen. Take regular up, regular breaks. So give yourself a break. Um, and then pay attention to what you're getting out of caregiving. Don't become the martyr. Don't become Debbie Downer. Um, what are you getting? Is there anything positive you're getting from your caregiving? Write it down and feel better. That's good. You hit the highlights. I did hit the highlights. Perfect. Kathy Borey coming our way in just a couple of moments right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernio. You hear us at 930 a.m. The Answer. One of the things I'd love to talk about with uh, Dr. Robin Eikoff, I'm Ron Aaron, by the way, is prevention, and it's something that WellMed spends a lot of time on. We do spend a lot of time on prevention because the fact is we know when we spend time on prevention, people live longer, healthier lives. So what do you look for in, in, in terms of preventing disease? Well, as a provider, we're going to spend a lot of time with our patients looking at lab work, doing tests, looking for things early, encouraging preventative exams like an eye exam, uh, mammograms, colonoscopies, all the things that help us prevent severe illness. And it's one of the things that WellMed has always prided itself on. We've always been the forerunner for prevention. And now everybody's jumping on board, and I'm glad to see it. Giving new meaning to patient-centered health care. Yes, it does. Dr. Robin Eikoff, I'm Ron Aaron. By the way, you catch us on WellMed Radio Saturdays at 5 in the afternoon, right here on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. We are so pleased you are riding along with us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. You hear us at 9.30 a.m. The Answer, we come to you every week, 5 in the afternoon or 6 in the afternoon on Sundays, and podcasts are available. Go to caregiversos.org. And we are pleased to welcome Carol to our Caregiver SOS hotline author, Kathy Borey, who joins us uh, to talk a bit about the long hello, memories, my mother and me. And uh, Kathy, thanks so much for coming on board. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be joining you both today. Now, that's a neat twist on the long goodbye. Isn't it? Not accidental. Not at all, Ron, not at all. I I think they say very different things. Uh, One is sort of, I think, more pessimistic and about things ending all the time and withdrawing. 
uh, saying goodbye is a form of withdrawal, and saying hello is being, um, I think it's illustrating a continuing presence with people that uh, have dementia or that you're caring for. Now, you cared for your mom for seven-plus years while she struggled with Alzheimer's. That's correct. And she also had Parkinson's. She was um, diagnosed with these uh, diseases. I guess she would have been in her very late 70s um, and then passed away when she was 87. And you came to be a caregiver by choice? Oh, yes. I was the only, um, well, I wasn't a child, but I was the only child left. And we were had always been very close. And I, I, you know, cared for her deeply and, you know, it wasn't even a question in my mind. That would be something that I would be willing to do and also saw it as my uh, responsibility as a, as a loyal child, family member. Now, did she live with you or did she live in uh, a facility? She lived in her own condominium about five minutes from where I lived. And things went along with me being there um, a great deal of the time. And then when she got Parkinson's, she couldn't walk. So we ended up bringing in um, live-in caregiver. Uh, but I found I was there just as much, <laughs> as you probably know, as I was before, if not more so, because you're in some ways just as worried. Uh, it's wonderful to have that help, but you're always worried that things are going all right. Oh, exactly, exactly. And and you were at, or are in Canada? Is that right? I'm in Vancouver, Canada, in about two and a half hours driving north of Seattle. See, so this is an international show. We're we're like going global right here. So I think, um, Kathy, you are our first international guest in all the years we've been doing this. That's right. <laughs> and, and caregiving is a worldwide responsibility. It sure is. It's uh, probably nobody in the world that uh, hasn't either thought about it, experienced, or been concerned about it. Now, one of the things you told us as you put this book together, you did something a little different than uh, other books dealing with caring for a mom or a dad with Alzheimer's. Uh, you have included quotes from your mother. That's correct, Ron and Carol. What I did was I ended up taping many of our conversations and I'll tell you a little story about how that happened. Uh, we had gone, we used to go to one of the shopping malls for lunch all the time. And one one day we were going and my mom's dementia had been increasing and I, I wanted to ask her advice about, about something and I thought, oh, I really shouldn't do this. Maybe this is unfair of me to do this. Uh, but uh, I, I thought uh, I'd always relied on her counsel. I found her very practical and wise. And so I did anyway, and I, I had just come out of a relationship that had gone the, the wrong way, and my heart was broken into a million little pieces. And I said to her, well, Mom, what do you lo- do if you love somebody, but he doesn't love you? And without skipping the beat, she looked up at me, and she just waved her arm, and she said, oh, go find someone else. And I, I, of course, it made me laugh. It was very funny. <laughs> and so then I thought, wow, that, that's pretty good. So then I said, well, what do you think love is? And she said, well, love is a sublime felt between two people in the same working order. And I thought, I don't think I've ever heard a better definition of love. And I scratched it out on my coffee-stained white serviette, which I still have, and I couldn't write fast enough to get some of these things down, and that's why I decided to tape our conversations, because she was saying things, those negative stereotypes, 
don't uh, tell you about. They, she was poetic and funny and quirky, uh, and sometimes I didn't understand what she meant, but I often don't understand uh, poetry, and it's just it was just fascinating. So her voice uh, really is across most of the pages of that memoir. Now, you have an amazing eclectic background. You are a nurse, graduated from St. Paul's Hospital, uh, went on to attain a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, a Master of Public Health, from Johns Hopkins University. We brought you down to the States there for a while. Yay. Graduated from law school at the University of Saska- Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. I got right? Saskatchewan. And uh, uh, you obtained a certificate in creative writing from the Writer's Studio at Simon Fraser University. And as I mentioned to you off the air, uh, you also dabbled with training as a clown. Well, you know, that's, that's been very kind. I just did a one week course here in Vancouver from a, a fellow, um, forgotten his name, somebody Johnson from California years ago. And oh my gosh, you know, none of us slept at night. We were so nervous about the next day. We had to do mime and we, you know, basically you live in an imaginary world. And I like that world. And I think that's partly why I, uh, really liked being with my mother uh, in her world, wherever that was. It was a, uh, obviously a sort of parallel universe at times, and I, I didn't, you know, I didn't. That didn't scare me. It does scare some people, but in fact, I found it quite, quite lovely, quite fictional. So I think the clowning school didn't hurt. <laughs> well, so you know, obviously, you have a, a a creative background, and you were talking about your mother. You know, maybe speaking in poetry, and that's why, you know, in imagery, so maybe that's why it's difficult to understand. Did your mother, was that the way your mother communicated before she had Alzheimer's? Was she always, did she always have these wonderful, you know, uh, profound things that she said, or, or did she use that kind of imagery? Well, Carol, that's a really interesting question. The answer is no. And, I mean, she was... Um, just a, a, an ordinary human being that spoke like we most of us speak every day, and she she was creative in the sense of uh, loving music. She taught piano and she played piano beautifully, but uh, no, absolutely not. And of course, I've talked to many people over the years uh, about this subject, and I do performances based on the text with musicians. So I hear back a lot from people in the audiences, and and. That same experience rings true for lots of people when they take the time to sit and listen. And they find that a lot of people do talk in, in more poetic ways and say very, very interesting, quirky things that they never exhibited prior to experiencing the dementia. So, I mean, that's uh, aside from much heartache, which, of course, I, I address in the book. It's very raw because that's part of uh, the disease process or the down days. Uh, aside from that, there are, you know, there's beauty to be found and meaning uh, and, and ways of connecting that we just uh, we have to be aware of so that we can be a care partner in a progressive and positive way. Now, one bit of interesting news. Your book has been available in Canada only until now, but coming in 2016, uh, your book has been acquired by Skyhorse Publishing in New York and will be released in the States. 
I am so excited about that, Ron. I spend a lot of time in the States. I even wrote quite a bit of my book in New York when I was doing a writer's residency. So I have lots of pals down there, and they've been wanting to get the book and really can't. And so it comes out in the spring, and I'm coming out for a book launch and just can't wait. Maybe you two could come up to New York. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, or bring you down. we can bring you down to Texas as well if you want to oh. you know, spread it out. I would love that and do a little line dancing. <laughs> <laughs> or you do uh, uh, dancing as an avocation, do you not? Well, I, I was doing uh, ballroom and Latin dancing just right. as an amateur, um, you know, social dancing, which I love dearly. I don't do that anymore. Uh, it was just a little bit too hard on the old bones, but um, I still, I could still kick up. Put, I've still got my cowboy boots. I, all you have to do is send me an invite. I'll be there. Well, Carol does <laughs> flamenco dancing. Oh, uh, you just don't. Bring, That's yeah, she gorgeous does. dancing. Bring your own castanets That's and right. she'll yeah, take you. Stop you. the boots and I'll bring the castanets. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, speaking of dancing, I found that, the, and I know you'll understand this, Carol, in particular, but the dancing really helped me find a way of uh, experiencing beauty and creativity and release away from being a care partner to my mom so I could uh, go inside myself and, and tell my stories on the dance floor, and I found that extremely helpful as a caregiver. I know. I'm thinking about all the things that you've done. I'm beginning to, you know... I'm going to have to work harder or take up something else. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not doing anything anymore except for things I like and, and creative things. Well, I was very interested to hear about your list when, when you were talking about gratitude and living in the moment and just inviting people in your life that that you want to. And I'm thinking well, those are templates for everybody's life. And I, th- I thought well, those are really good suggestions, especially for people who are caregiving. But really, I think they're models for for how we might want to approach our lives no matter what's going on. We're going to come right back to you in just a minute. We'll break for news and uh, come right back to Carrie Boring. I want to find out a little bit about what you learned about yourself during this caregiving journey and what advice you would have for others uh, who may be listening who are now or about to become caregivers. You're listening right here on 930 AM, The Answer to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel. Well, thank you so much for sticking with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. We're talking with Kathy Borey, born in Vancouver, uh, educated in Canada and in the States. And we're talking about her book, Dealing with Her Mom and the Experience of Caregiving, The Long Hello, looking at the emotional rewards and challenges that Kathy Borey experienced in caring for her mother. So, Kathy, what did you learn about yourself as you undertook this journey of caregiving for your mom? Oh, that's a tricky question. Um, well, I think one of the things I learned uh, was that, well, maybe I learned how to do this better for myself. I think that every day when I woke up, I realized that I had a, a whole new chance to take that day and try to do as good a job as I could. So, for example, if the day before I had been tired and found um, uh in my care partner with my mom that I might have been a little short-tempered or depressed, frustrated, which of course happens, then I would feel guilty about that. But then over time I realized, okay, listen, this is another day. Start again. Just start again. Uh, let that go and, and try a little bit harder today and maneuver things uh, 
in a way that you think you could deal with things a little bit better, like the whole thing Carol was talking about, taking a deep breath, understanding that maybe we're where exactly where we should be, uh, being aware of, of the stress and trying to find ways of dealing with it that make life a little bit better. And, and how much of uh, this journey did your mother understand uh, as, you, as she began to, I guess, spiral down with Alzheimer's? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's not something I would really know because I think that uh, I couldn't tell what what she understood about it or what she didn't. I know that when she first uh, became um unwell that she was very well aware of the fact that she was uh, forgetting things in a serious way and getting mixed up and not recognizing people and places and that was exceedingly upsetting as of course it would be catastrophic but i don't beyond that i i'm not really sure uh, it's interesting though when you say when you bring that up and it makes me think that i talk to a lot of people with dementia and they know their minds are changing, which is, as I say, catastrophic. But I think what they find um, even worse than that and, uh, and unforgivable, really, is losing relationships where people withdraw and they don't know what to do or they don't think they're re- uh, recognized anymore, so they back off thinking that there's nobody left there to relate with. And we know, of course, from lots of evidence that that's just not true. I mean, when you think about it, if if you had a young person that had a brain injury and was in a coma or neurologically compromised, uh, you wouldn't stop visiting them. <laughs> You'd stay visiting them. So I think part of it is an ageist attitude that we have that it's fine to write older people off. So I think the most important thing is maintaining relationship in any way we can, and there are there are new ways of doing this that I didn't even think of with my mother, like uh, music and memory with the iPod projects where you bring in music and from that person's era, you, you listen to it as a caregiver, they listen to it. And that's really been transforming the field of dementia, as has the whole art world where people are doing art, uh, listening to music, all sorts of creative endeavors, theater keeping people uh, in, the, in the present, uh, not in the present, but keeping with them every day for them to be doing something creative, which reaches into their um, minds and spirits in a way that other things don't. Well, and I, and I love that you're bringing up, you know, this whole creative side, because there is a lot uh, of research and evidence right now. And people, I, you know, we hear a, a lot of caregivers, good intentioned caregivers, you know, mom, what's my name? Do you know who this is? You know, what's my daughter's name? And doing this quiz thing. Uh, and they and they feel like they're helping them remember as opposed to maybe they're just frustrating them. And the, mm-hmm. the wonderful thing about what the creativity side that you're talking about is, number one, the creative side of your brain is still intact. Um, so even though you're losing memory, that make-believe, that artistic, creative stuff is still in there. Uh, and when we allow people with dementia to make up their own story or paint a picture or listen to music that they've always loved, because music is also one of the last things that you lose, um, then you're actually tapping into the part of the brain that's still there, that's still working uh, and can bring them great joy. And I don't think joy and Alzheimer's are things that we put together often enough. In fact, that's what uh, you said at the beginning of the show, Kathy, that uh, so many books and discussions of 
uh, dementia and Alzheimer's are downers, and what you tried to write is an upper. Yes, and I took my cue from my um, from my mother on that one. I, you know, I really came to understand that if if I was going to rely on linear memory and a sort of rational language, I was going to be in big trouble. That I had to move into a sort of emotional community and and rely on uh, an emotional and imaginative system that was kicking in for her. And you know, as just Carol was saying, really, you know, that's a great place to connect with anybody. So uh, it, it's really interesting that. Uh, you know, aside from the heartache, which, of course, there's a great deal of that, and we mustn't uh, pretend there isn't, but there certainly is joy and uh, and connection all the way through, right right through to the very end is always available to us, absolutely. What kind of help did you get from experts in the field, if any? You know, this was quite a while ago, and um, I didn't uh, really get, I got, well, I got a great deal of help from mom's family uh, physician, who's also my physician. She was very supportive. But, you know, I'm not really a group person, so groups didn't suit me. So I felt um, I felt pretty isolated, to be honest with you. And bit by bit, either her friends had passed away or, that you know, I don't have much family, but some of those people didn't turn up, some did. But it's a, it's a very isolating and solitary experience under the best of circumstances. So any way of uh, coming up with create, creative uh, strategies like music and art uh, are ways, I think, that make both people feel much better about life. So what advice would you give to caregivers uh, who, who are beginning this journey? Because we know with so many people uh, turning 65 and aging into the 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, that the increase in dementia it will be phenomenal in this country, and a lot of caregivers are going to be faced with what you faced at uh, at the beginning. Yes, and um, well, I think I think I'd have to bring up that that whole iPod project again. I would certainly undertake that. That's not going to take away uh, fill up the whole day, but the idea being that you you record music that was part of that person's era. And it's a wonderful way to connect. I think that's really important. I would probably enroll uh, somebody in as many art uh, classes that are for people with dementia that I could um, and, and do anything that I could that would be creative. And I would also understand that I had my own limitations and there are going to be lots of rough times, but that every day you get up is a, is, is a, new, a new day and a new chance. And maintaining a connection with somebody under difficult circumstances, I think, is our human responsibility, but it's also a gift. You know, with satellite radio here in the States, you can get 40s on 4 music uh, 24-7. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's right there. That's right. Yeah. And actually, I even listen to Canadian radio on my satellite radio. There you are, so CBC. you can get a little bit of everything. Yeah. Well, Kathy, <laughs> one of, well, what I love that you have done, and when you talk about the relationships, because I think that's really unique. We've interviewed a lot of people on the show over the years, um, but when you, what you're really talking about, maintaining that relationship, I think a lot of us get into the habit of taking care of someone. And we're taking care of their needs. We're dressing and bathing and shopping and doing doctor's appointments and all of that. But that, but that's, 
like we were talking about in the opening, that slowing down and really engaging that person and thinking deliberately, I'm going to maintain a relationship with this person. And maybe it's not the same type of relationship that I've always had, but I'm going to stop and try to connect at some level. I think so many of us forget to do that because we're so busy doing those activities of daily living that we think, you know, or that we we may have to do, but we just forget about that emotional connection and thinking about the person in there. Yes, that's very, very astute. I, I like what you're saying, and I think, I think I, I, we tend to also, like you were saying earlier about, do you know who I am? I think we do that because we're thinking more about ourselves and how we feel about something other than what could be uh, good for that other person. And so it's partly about putting ego aside and letting things go the way they go and redefining the relationship but maintaining one. Now you've adapted your book into a a one-act play. Yes, a uh, a director, a playwright in Vancouver, James Fagan-Tate, and I worked on it together, and it's just been completed, so we're getting ready to pitch it Throughout North America, I'd love to have it in a theater in Texas. It's a, it's a two-person, one-act play, so it's uh, pretty feasible to put on. And the next step, uh, I would like to see it um, adapted for screen, but th- th- we're going along one step at a time, and it's uh, ready to go out. It's a, it, 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 it's a good play. It covers everything, the, the down days and the up days, music, dance, the whole oh. bit. So it's like a modern version of On Golden Pond. Yeah, it could be. Could be. So, how long is the, how long does the one act play last? How long? Ninety the, minutes. Ninety. See, that's perfect for one yeah. act. No intermission. I love that because then you you know it's too tiring to think. I'm assuming I, it's I, uh, you and your mother are the characters. That's correct. And the daughter in the play plays other characters in the book because, as you'll probably both appreciate, the story of going through uh, this experience with my mother has to be set in context of the family crucible. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. So there's lots of backstories of childhood and different experiences. My my year in Baltimore, all sorts of different things. Mum was a great salmon fisherman, fisherwoman. So <laughs> we have that kind of thing going on. So it puts the con the illness years into context of the family. So did you ever play back anything for your mother? Did you ever say, "Here, mom, this is you know, this is you." I did a little bit, and um, there. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure what she thought about it. It was hard to tell. Some things I think she thought was funny, but you know, when we listen to ourselves, we never like our own voices. <laughs> so I think some of it she liked. We used to sing together too, and I have some of those on recordings. And of course, that was always fun to listen. What did she sing? We sang. You're gonna love this. We sang. You are my sunshine. There you go. Great song. I my know. mother loves that song. We sang other songs too, but that was sure fun. Carol's mother, she's made no secret of this, has Alzheimer's as well. So she's been down this path. Right. But I, you know, I love the, I love the singing and the music and the taping. So did you like tape everything and kind of set it aside? No, I, I taped, uh, I I can't remember how long I actually taped for, but I taped it. um, And then um, after she died, in 2006, early on, I, I had it transcribed uh, and then just went over it and over it and over it uh, to pick pieces out to write, this, to write this memoir. Well, we unfortunately are flat out of time. You've been an 
absolute delight to talk with Kathy Bory. And for folks who uh, want to learn more, is there a website they can go to? Yes, kathybory.com, C-A-T-H-I-E-B-O-R-R-I-E.com is probably the best place to start, Ron. And on that website, you'll let us know when your book is available in the States. Oh, yes, it should be April. Um, I, haven't got a, I haven't got a launch date, but April 2016. Well, we will look forward to having that. Thank and, you, Carol. Uh, and again, we, we'd love to have you come visit San Antonio. I'd love that. I would love that. Well, let's put that on the front burner, and we'll see if we can work that out. All right. Thanks so much for coming on with us. Bless you both. It was lovely talking to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Kathy Borian, and what a delight. Absolutely. It was fun. I, yeah, I just love her whole attitude. Take 10 up next, featuring Carol Zernio. We'll tell you about it in just a moment, right here on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a WellMed patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eikhoff, that's not by accident. No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home. And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time my WellMed physician spends with me, and you do the same thing with your patients. Yeah, I, I really do try to, and, and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give. And I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases. That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well. We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL. 210-614-WELL. I always get a sense how to say, uh-huh, when I hear that music. Uh-huh. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Take 10 follows each of our shows, and normally Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us, but Imagine that. He's on vacation. Yeah, where's Jamie? On vacation. Jamie, where are you? So I'll tell you what. In honor of Jamie's vacation, why don't we talk a bit about getting ready for summertime? Well, I think that's an excellent idea because we you know, we talk about it's a pretty serious subject, and we have a lot of caregivers out there who are you know in the middle of their caregiving duties. Summer is upon us. Maybe it's raining like it is has been here if you're lucky, or maybe it's sunny. Um, but, you know, I found a true or false quiz, Ron. I like that. That I thought I would quiz you since Jamie's not here to be Can quizzed. I have Roland help me? You could have Roland help okay, you if, Roland you, if Ruiz, you feel like. Uh, um, help, yeah, yeah. yeah if, I'll need help. Who's running the boards here for us. Thank you. Yeah, just in case. So I'll let, you know, I don't know. I don't have a buzzer for whoever wants to answer first. But, okay, so true or false, in the summertime, you need eight glasses of water a day. True. I say false. All right. So one point for Roland. <laughs> you know, people don't even know where that came from, that whole eight, eight, six to eight glasses of water a day. I'm not playing anymore. You're not going to play anymore. <laughs> so, you know, you should let thirst be your guide. If you're thirsty, drink water. You don't have to drink eight ounces. It's just going to increase your need to run someplace else to the sandbox, as, Ron, right. as you might say. Um, so if you're thirsty, go get something to drink and it doesn't have to just be water. It could be juice or milk or fruit juice or even caffeinated beverages, but 
Which I don't drink. Which, you know, might not be good for your teeth. No. Okay, so true or false, the higher the SPF, SPF being that thing in sunscreen, um, the better. True. True. We've got two trues, partly true. So I guess you get half points. So basically you want sunscreen that's 15 to 30 because anything over 50 doesn't mean anything. <laughs> uh, SPF 30. It's marketing. SPF 30 blocks 97% of UVB rays. So SPF 40 is 98% and SPF 50 is 99%. So if you're going, I have some that's 85. All right, I confess. I have SPF <laughs> 85 in my cabinet right now, and that's 35 more SPFs than I really need. Wow. And you pay for it. And you pay for that, yeah, because you're like, oh. Yeah, they so, don't give that SPF so, away. So just do the 30 to between 30 and 50. You want broad spectrum to guard against UVA and UVB. Um, and that's good enough. You don't have to have the 200. So we get a point, <laughs> so half you point. Do. Yeah, and if you don't have SPF 85 in your cabinet like I do, you get <laughs> the full point. Exactly. All right, so getting a base tan can prevent skin cancer. False. False. Ah, guys, so that's super false, it says. Super false. You know, anything that gives you a tan is just bad for you. And if you get, like, five sunburns, you, which I think I've had five sunburns a year for the last 30 years, um, really increases your risk of skin cancer. So no tan. Put on the sunscreen, a 30 to 50 sunscreen. Stay pale and white and pasty. When I was a kid growing up in <laughs> Cleveland, we used to sit out. With Vaseline on our faces and arms, holding uh, reflectors. It was supposed to be that baby oil, that mineral oil, baby oil. I went for Vaseline. You went for for sticky Vaseline. Wow. Could never get it off. No, I don't know what you were thinking. I don't know. You obviously didn't get the the rumor. You didn't hear that right. No. And there was no SPF 85. The worst sunburn I ever had was that stupid baby oil. Okay, number four, potato salad will give you food poisoning. Only if it's not stored properly. That's kind of true. It's not actually not the worst offender. You know what does more people in in the summertime than the potato salad? Eggs. No, chicken. 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 Yeah, Roland had that one. Yeah, one drop of juice from infected raw chicken is enough to cause you to be very ill. Even if you cook it well? Well, you know, that the problem is it's the raw chicken that people are left yeah. sitting around. Yes. Um, and if you don't cook it well. So, you know, I don't cook chicken at home, actually. I am chicken-phobic because of the, you know, the toxicity of raw chicken germs or whatever they are. Um, you have to keep separate cleaning board. You know, if you're right. cutting chicken, use right. a different board. Wash your hands. Wash everything. Cook it thoroughly. And the big thing on chicken is use a meat thermometer. You need to get it to 165. Poke the little thermometer in the chicken and make sure it gets hot enough because Roland remembers his bad chicken from the summertime, right? Yes. Well, yes, I did. And part due of that is that the original Roland Ruiz was a food inspector with the Department of Agriculture. Ooh, oh, he actually really, really knows. There you go. So number five, chlorine in pools protects you from germs. No. No. It's only partially true. Um, You know, it's kind of a disinfectant, but what (laughs) I love this line. It says, you are sharing what uh, the germs of everybody in the swimming pool when you get into the swimming pool. Makes you never want to swim again. So, the you know, if you're sick, stay out of the pool. 
Yes. Um, and don't, so you're not sharing germs because chlorine, it does help, but it's not a total 100% killer because if it did, you would be, you know, <laughs> bleached, completely yes. bleached by the chlorine. All right. You're going to know this one. It's fine to pee in the pool. The answer to that is no. Roland's not even going to dignify that with an answer. Yes. I would hope not. So, no, don't pee in the pool. Um, it's It doesn't matter how big the pool, it's not diluted enough, and that's all I'm going to say. Um, so how many of us heard you have to wait a half an hour to swim after you've eaten? Yeah, how many heard. mothers said that? Growing up, I, I can remember my folks... It was an hour. Hour, yeah, yeah and, that's, and that was whatever. like the yeah. longest oh, yeah. hour, longest in your life, minutes in your yeah. entire life. Ronnie, but get out of that pool. You'll get muscle cramps and you'll drown. Yes, right? you'll that's die. What, you'll die. You'll, you'll get die. muscle cramps and you'll drown. Yeah. Okay, so that's not really true. Um, there's no rule about waiting to swim after eating, um, it, but uh, you know you don't want to. Probably don't feel as peppy, and you want to take a nap or something. But your mom was my mom was wrong. Your guys' moms were wrong. But see, the theory thing. was: well, all the blood is going to your stomach to digest yes, your food, that's right. and you're so going to you can't exercise. Yeah, you can't, There's no right. blood for your muscles. Right? No, it's not. No. Oh, good. Well, that's good then. So swim away. Eat, swim away. Eat. I you know swimming makes me hungry, so I'm so glad to know that I can now eat and swim. You're listening to Take Ten right here on 9:30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Dr. Jamie Heisman is on vacation, if you can imagine the noise. So we are filling in, in in a very entertaining way. So that's pretty cool. Now, those are the summer tips. True, false? Yeah, that was the summer tips. So the next thing I have for all of you caregivers are summer movies. And because now you can get first-run movies at home almost instantaneously on some channel. On uh, demand. On demand. Or they're going to be coming very soon. So get a pencil out. And write down, these are summer movies for grown-ups. Summer movies for grown-ups. So the first one is The Connection. Do you remember The French Connection with Gene Hackman? Yeah. All right. So this is really a, which wasn't a French movie. This is a French movie. (laughs) You know, did you see the guy that was in The Artist that was the guy that Uh. played the silent actor? He won the Oscar for The Artist. Do you remember that one? He's in this movie. He was an incredible actor. It's the same story, but it's from the perspective of... The cop who's you know has a drug smuggling right. ring, but it's in French and they're recommending it. The they're, subtitles, um, yeah, because you'll you'll understand it in the original French. Yeah, but the subtitles are good. Um, this one's already out. I'll see you in my dreams with Blythe Danner, who they're saying has isn't that a remake out of her mind. Acting. Really, they're saying that it's like her whole career has led to this one movie. So huh. if you don't know who Blythe Danner is, she's Gwyneth Paltrow's mother, right? Which and a heck of an actress and a heck of an actor and Sam Elliott, who oh. many women out there might enjoy yeah, seeing that man Sam Elliott. Act. So they're saying, yeah, go see that one's already been out. Didn't I'll you? see you in my dreams. I'll see you in, okay, so the other one that's already out is Poltergeist, the remake. Although it did get that. Ooh, I'm sorry. Um, some people didn't enjoy it as much <laughs> as others. They were recommending it. The one that I do want to see is the documentary on the racing life of Paul Newman. Oh. I actually went to the Indy 500. And sat with the Paul Newman racing team you one did. year. Wow. Yeah, and Paul Newman didn't come. Can I just say how disappointed I was? He graduated and, from my high school. He graduated from your Shaker high school? Shaker Heights High School. Did you know him? He graduated the year I was born, 1942. <laughs> so I uh, did not know him. You didn't know but him. But I interviewed him at the Democratic National well, Convention know, yeah. so, I mean, years ago. Paul Newman. Um, it's true about his eyes, by the way. They were incredible. 
They were incredible. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh, I never got to meet him. I'm yeah. really jealous. Oh, I'm sorry. So the one that's really getting good reviews is the um, Beach Boys movie, Love and Mercy. Yes, Love and Brian Mercy. Wilson's story. Brian Wilson's story. Go out and see that. That one's gotten excellent reviews. Time um, for one more. Uh, time for one more. Okay. Ooh. Uh, later in the summer. I'm sorry. I'm looking at. Oh, there's another vacation movie. We're talking about vacations. Go and now see. we're out of time. They're revisiting vacation. Carol, a thank vacation you. Movie. Bye. For Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. <laughs> thank you for listening to Caregiver SOS on air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.